Kind of fun having a, a theme uh, this week or a direction of our uh, worship. And really, uh, this whole week's been just kind of a fun time celebrating uh, different relationships. Anybody have a good Valentine's Day? Enjoyed some time there? Uh, for me and for Adrian and I, uh, this Valentine's Day was actually our 20th anniversary. Uh, so uh, we got married. Uh, she, she teases me for getting married on Valentine's Day because I was consolidating gifts. But e- e- either way... I noticed though she did a really sweet tribute on uh, Facebook that she wrote up, and uh, a lot of people commented on that. And there's, as I was reading through the different comments, there's a lot of people that had something to say about, "Wow, Adrian, you haven't changed one bit. <laughs> not one comment about me not changing." And so uh, I saw, I mentioned on Thursday night, and Ryan Shoden went on later and said, "Oh, wow, Scott, you look the same," which isn't true. But uh, either way. Uh, fun, fun celebrating. So that was 20 years for Adrian and I. And th- then today is Stephanie and John's one year anniversary. So it's kind of fun on our staff having kind of uh, both ends of the spectrum uh, covered there. And uh, with that, uh, it, kind of thinking back and kind of reflecting, it sends you into kind of uh, reminiscing a bit. I wonder if you can help me finish, and this relates to our message, help me finish this statement. The more things change, the... Isn't that somewhat true? Isn't that somewhat true? As you look back, there's not a lot that changes. There's a lot of little adjustments, but a lot that remains the same. And really, the reason I bring that statement up is because the more you dig into studying history, you start to realize things don't really change a lot. As we're working through this book of Hosea, you start looking at the kind of the culture then and different trends. And the more I've been studying, I'm like, man, they kind of deal with the same issues that we deal with, the same uh, flaws, the same shortcomings. Here, I want to kind of point to, because our theme is on love this morning, or love clarified is the uh, title of this morning, is that they had some pretty significant misconceptions about what love was and what love isn't. Really, what I'd suggest is kind of three main areas that they were confused about. They first, they thought that love was something that could be purchased, kind of a transactionary thing. They also believed that love was about personal gratification, about what I can get from it. And they even believed what so many still today believe is that love can be found in inanimate objects, in things, in items. Think about that. It's kind of eerily similar on all those purchase. This idea still you see in so many marriages and relationships today, the idea of I give you this, I do this for you, then you'll return and exchange with love and affection as a response to that. Or gratification. We see it so often in our world around us. If, if someone doesn't satisfy my needs, done with them, moving on, kind of back in the game, someone might even say. So the confusion is still consistent objects. How often we hear misdirected love about different items. Man, I love that home, or I love that new tile, or I love that dress. Love so often is misdirected. It makes you start to think, maybe we're missing out on kind of God's intent for love, right? Maybe we're a little settling for kind of some cheap substitutes. One of the things when my uh, kids were growing up, one of the highlights, maybe you can remember this if you have kids, is when they move from training wheels 
to finally having their first bike. That was a big deal, and you kind of moved up in sizes based on the size of the kid. I remember with Chase when he finally broke out of the training wheels uh, last year. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, we, uh, he, was, he, was like si- he was like six, and uh, we took some time, and we're like, all right, Chase, for your birthday, we're going to go and get you a grown-up kid's bike. He was super excited about this. Ended up taking him to only the best place I could think of, Walmart. And, uh, and, and so we headed to Walmart and I kind of let him, I said, all right, looking down the row of all these bikes, have you ever been in there? They have these rows. And I was like, you pick out whichever one you want. I kind of checked the prices in advance. And I was like, you, you choose. And he, of course he did kind of land on the most expensive one, but I was like, all right, let's do it, do it anyway. And it's so fun afterwards, listening to him talk to his friends. He's like, yeah, my dad bought me the very best bike they had at Walmart. And I was like, oh, but son, I have friends that have four and $5,000 bikes. That's not what we bought you. The idea of this misconception, I think maybe that relates to kind of our view on love is we're settling for Walmart bikes when there's so much better out there. Let me pray before we explore this. Lord Jesus, we invite you to speak through our text this morning. We thank you for your choice to engage with us and reveal and clarify what true love is. We ask now that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd be alive and active in this room. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So you might remember uh, kind of the last couple weeks as we're studying this book of Hosea, which has been fairly intense, kind of God's plan for kind of revealing or clarifying what love is. If you think about it, what did he do? He went to Hosea and he said, listen, the two of us together are going to demonstrate to Israel what real love looks like. We're going to choose. We're going to choose somebody to be committed to. They're going to be completely unfaithful, stop on our hearts, and then we're going to go to the ultimate measure to win them back. It's going to be great. We're going to, we're going to demonstrate to Israel what real love looks like. And we don't know from the text whether or not this was something that was exciting for Hosea. Most likely kind of like, oh boy, here we go. And so that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. You remember, he called Hosea to marry a prostitute. And in this, this invitation, he actually obeyed and named his kids. You remember the intense names he gave them, just demonstrating what this covenant relationship between God and Israel has looked like a faithful groom, an unfaithful bride, obviously God being the groom in that story. So last week we saw that just like was expected for his wife named Gomer, she went on to be unfaithful once again. We saw that last week in chapter 2. Now in response to that, Hosea chapter 3, we're going to see how God chooses to kind of uh, interact with that unfaithfulness. Take a look at verse 1, chapter 3 of Hosea. It says, And the Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. All right, we'll stop there for a second with a little bit of explanation. So basically what's happening here is what? He's telling him to Hosea to go back to Gomer, who's been unfaithful. 
She's left him. We saw that last week in chapter two. She's left him to go back to her, her old lifestyle of prostitution. You're like, well, can you, can you imagine what that would be like, that call to say, go, go back? What do you mean, go back? Take, take her back and not, not just go again, but love her. Go back and love her. But you don't understand, God. She, she literally, she's left me. She's, she's physically left me. And not only that, she's left me with three kids. You got to imagine, like, she didn't likely take them with. So he's now a single dad in this lifestyle, being called to do something drastic. And you see where God is saying, listen, you get to parallel me. He says this, he says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So he's saying, just like Israel is unfaithful to me and I keep taking them back, I'm calling you to do the same. Do you see the parallels here are obvious? It's interesting that little term there maybe caught your attention too. I kind of, uh, the inflection of my voice might have pointed to, but the cakes of raisins, that what, what is that all about? Like what's that, what's that, what's happening there? Jeremiah 7, 18 tells us that cakes and raisins or small delicacies were something given to pagan worshipers after a sacrifice was made. So it's kind of, you catch the tone there where he's like, they're willing to trade me in for small treats. They're willing to trade me in for small treats. And some of us, when we read that, we're like, yeah, those uh, the crazy Israelites or this crazy uh, Gomer going off for the smallest of things. But really, isn't this supposed to be a picture today of what? Our wandering hearts. Think how little it takes for us to be distracted and diverted to how, how little of things that we have to be drawn to chase after to cause our own infidelity. Think about some of the things that appeal to our, our hearts, whether it's silly entertainment on a made-up TV show, or maybe it's a, a group of men playing grown, uh, grown men playing games in tights. Like, what, what is it that pulls us away? I'll, I'll be real here. How about a nicely shaped piece of plastic with four wheels? Like, what, what is it that draws our affection? It doesn't take much green paper with somebody's picture on it. The things we chase are like, cakes and raisins, but here he's saying, I want you to go back. I want you to love her again. What's on the other side of that? You see up there on the screen, it's a love that forgives. A love that forgives. If we're going to learn anything from God about love, it needs to be starting with a covenant love, one that is willing to forgive. Probably the greatest obstacle I see as I've interacted with different couples over a lot of different years, the greatest obstacle to marriages being healthy is the ability for them to do what? Forgive. Forgive, right? So often, somewhere along the line, whether it's 10 years, 15 years ago, two years ago, somewhere along the line, they started keeping track. I, I, I jotted this down. It's funny setting this up here when the worship team was practicing. But basically, what happens is the idea of someone starts an offense list at some point in the relationship. An offense list where they start... I'm keeping track. I'm going to hold on to that one. And then, the, the, oh, there's another one that added on to that. And there's another one that added on to that. And before you know it, this sheet is packed 
with offenses, right? And it's so often that it's crippling and taking the heart that's just all bound up under this offense list. And before you realize it, the love has grown cold and the person's confused. What, what happened to my love? Where did that go? This is where it went. What God invites us to do in genuine love, true love, is to take that list to say, you know what, I'm, cr- I'm, I'm done with it. I'm releasing and we're going to start fresh. That's the idea of what he's doing with Gomer. So that's the invite. It starts with forgiveness. Look in verse 2 to see how Hosea responds. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. That needs some explanation. So a little bit of this going behind the scenes. There's a lot to that statement. So I bought her. What, is, what does that mean? So I, I bought her. She had gone back to a life of prostitution and most likely kind of similar to a, a today's day and age, there's likely places where that happens more prominently. In Amsterdam, you have what? The red light district. Not that I've been there, but uh, you get the idea of certain areas that a, a man that follows the Lord, that's a man of God, wouldn't typically tread, right? Here, imagine behind that statement, what kind of a hunt or pursuit Hosea had to go on to find his bride. Walking in neighborhoods, going around. Can you imagine the the awkward and miserable conversations? Hey, listen, I was just wondering if you've seen my wife Gomer by any chance. No, I haven't haven't seen her. Or, Or even the most awkward conversation. Wondering if you've seen my wife Gomer. Oh, man, yeah, actually... Saw her a couple days ago. Man, I didn't know you guys were back together. You know, like that. You're like, can you imagine the intense interactions there? Ultimately leading Hosea to what? Finding his wife for sale. On an auction block, if you will. Kind of similar to some of the dark past of slavery here in our country. They literally would take somebody and put them up on a box to be actually auctioned off and sold. Actually, auction off. What do you do when you find your wife being sold on an auction block? Talk about the most miserable of experiences. The most miserable, not just for him, also think about for her. Probably the most shameful moment of her existence, where people are determining, determining what is the worth, what is her value, what is she worth it to buy this woman for? miserable. You see, redemption stories get pretty messy and pretty ugly, right? Here in that, this case, she's up for sale. And what's interesting is I was looking into this a little bit that an average slave was selling for about 30 shekels. It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels. She wasn't drawing a high wage, but you imagine that audience where it's mostly silent, not a lot of bidders. All of a sudden, the back of the room, what do you hear? You hear Hosea, driving up the price. I'll get 14 shekels, 15 shekels. Uh, I, I, I'm out of cash. I'll, I'll throw in a, a, a homer of grain. I'll, I'll throw in a, a lethic was about two, two or four bales of, of barley. I'll take whatever I have, Hosea says, whatever I have, I'm going to cash it all in to buy my wife back. Now, isn't there something in you that says, wait a second, she was, she was already yours? Why did, why did you go to that extent? And if you're not starting to see the parallel to the gospel here, 
You're missing it. You're, you're missing it. This is the idea that we have a God that is so crazy in love with us that he'll hunt through the darkest of alleys, go to the darkest, most miserable places to draw us and then willing to what? Write the greatest check possible for our payment. First Peter 1.19, with the precious blood of Christ we were bought. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. That's the story of us. That's the story of us. Love that the name Hosea actually means deliverer or salvation, and the name Gomer means completion. It's pretty awesome to think that our God is willing to go down the darkest alleys of going whatever measure to save us, to rescue us, and to ultimately complete us. This is a God that understands what real love is, and real love involves sacrifice. Involves sacrifice. When is that not the case in any love story? There's always sacrifice involved. Whether it's a healthy God-honoring friendship, whether it's a, a relationship, whatever way you want to look at love, it involves sacrifice. And here, demonstrated obviously by Hosea and most uh, the bigger picture by our God. Verse 3, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. This is Hosea talking to Gomer. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Notice what's happening here. There's a lot, a lot going on there. You imagine what else happened in that conversation. But I, what I do notice is there wasn't a lot of rubbing her nose in her past. It's more setting the course for the future, right? It's saying, listen, this is kind of a, a renewal of vows, if you will. He takes her back and says, this is the new direction that we are headed now in this relationship. We're, we're, we're starting new. And he says, it's not just for you, it's for me as well. You're going to dwell as mine for many days, but you're not going to go back to your old ways. You have to understand that about our God too. As a covenant-keeping God, he's also about not just rescuing us, but also about transforming us. He loves us too much to leave us the same. He says, you're, you're rescued, you're bought back, you're completely paid for, but there's an expectation of transformation in your life. Breaks my heart when I talk to different couples and often, if I'll be honest, often it's the guy that'll say this. The guy will say to me, man, I don't know, man. She's just, always seems like she's just trying to change me. And you're like, yeah. You probably could use a little bit of changing, right? You, you, you see, we're so resistant to that idea, but isn't that God's design for us is to be transformed and changed more into his likeness. Now, sometimes that can get to an unhealthy place, obviously, in a relationship. But so often, man, the, sometimes the people that are closest to us, that's the best chisel in our shaping to be like Jesus Christ, right? The people that know us the best, that are the most intimate and closest with us, God uses that. And similarly, here, he's like, you know, I love you too much. I can't stand the idea of you not coming out of that old self and being changed and transformed. Here he calls that, calls her out, says, basically says, this is the new way that we're doing things. 
basically Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The idea is we're supposed to be nudging each other along. Think that this happens really, if we're going to simplify it, one of two different ways. First, the idea is this, that we need to confront unhealthy behavior in people that you care about in a God-honoring way. Confront unhealthy behavior, but here's the part that we don't do real great on. Also, celebrate healthy behavior. You see how that works? That's how this transformation works. It's not just confronting. Sometimes we're just like, man, I am really good at confronting people's behavior. But you're missing, what about the celebrating when they're getting it right? It was hard this uh, last week, actually this entire last six months, uh, kind of seeing some different faith heroes of uh, mine uh, fall back in Chicago. Kind of heartbreaking watching things I've mentioned here with Willow Creek. And then even just this last week, the church that I was at before moving here is called Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, just this last, I think it was Wednesday, uh, they actually uh, asked the lead pastor to step down, fired the, the lead pastor it wasn't a, a moral thing. It wasn't an uh, infidelity thing, I should say. But it was more of abuse of power, mistreatment of people, not basically having enough uh, checks in place, kind of just doing whatever he would do and not a lot of accountability. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about it as it relates to this, the reason I'm bringing that up. I was like, man, if they would have gotten this right, that could have looked a lot different. When we understand love appropriately, they're celebrating things that are going really well. They did a great job of that with him. Celebrating, man, when things were going great, when the church is growing and his, his teaching was fantastic. But what about the other side of that? When there's the parts of the character that need to be tweaked, that need to be adjusted, there's like, wait, you can't talk like that to somebody. You can't treat that person that way. That doesn't work. You see, you need both of these. And that's what true love includes. A love that transforms. It's an expectation. Continue in verse 4, we learn a little bit more about his uh, kind of painting the picture of what true love looks like. It says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and do his goodness in the latter days. That's how the chapter ends. And this book can be a little bit confusing, right? Because it kind of jumps between the story between this odd couple and then back to the story between God and Israel. Well, this is a, a major jump back to specifically speaking about the nation of Israel. This would be what this, you hear in Scripture described as prophecy of what's to come for the nation of Israel. So Hosea is painting a picture, and what the people, the audience doesn't realize is I've mentioned it before, they're one generation away from complete annihilation by the Assyrian attack. So they're going to be, we, because we're looking back now on history, you can look back and say, he's warning them this season, you're going to go into a period where they're not going to have a king or a prince. This habitual pattern of uh, following the nations and uh, the idolatry of the nations, that's done because you're going to be spread all over the place. Some of the things that have become kind of uh, patterns in your life of pillars and ephods and household gods, that's no longer because you're going to be completely dispersed. But he leaves this idea that on the other side of that, 
He refers to the latter days, which latter days, I found it interesting, can be translated end of days. The end of days, you're going to come back to me. You're going to come back. But here's the thing that's interesting. Now, this was written uh, thousands of years ago. That was the beginning. He's saying there's going to be a period of time where you have no king. You're going to be wandering. And we're, going to, we're going to be unconnected. At some point, way down the line, way down the line, you're going to come back to me. Think about that for a second, though. This is a couple of thousand years ago. That's how long Israel has been wandering in the sense of not interested in the provision of Jesus Christ as Lord. And you think about even when I was there a couple months ago, or I guess just last month in Israel, spending time there, and I was reading and hearing some statistics that in the the nation of Israel, right now 2% of people in that nation have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Like 2%. You're like, what? And if you could be there and you see like everybody's flooding there to come see all these sites where Jesus has been and walked and you're like, man, how are you missing it? But what I love and what I wanted to point out here is that we have a God that demonstrates love in this, a love that waits, a love that waits. It's like, oh, at some point they're going to come back. At some point, they're going to come back to me. And as we know, as we've read the book of Revelation, it's on the other side of some pretty intense judgment. Finally, God comes back, sets up camp. They're going to come to him. Initially, we see even here in fear and ultimately seeing his goodness. But it's going to be a pretty intense moment that brings them back into relationship as a whole, as the people of Israel. This picture is being painted of what's to come, but really the picture that I wanted to emphasize is the idea of true love waits. True love waits, and you think, well, what what are you getting at with that, Scott? As we're trying to apply some of these things and principles to our lives today, maybe that's exactly what somebody needed to hear this morning. True love waits for the spouse that you're just like, oh man, God's got to do a work in their heart, man. They are so difficult to be with a be patient. Just wait. God's transforming. He's doing a work. For, oh man, God, it just seems like nothing's going to ever change with them. Just wait. Keep praying. Be faithful. That's what we love about our God, a God that's willing to wait. Or the, per- the young person that's in this dating relationship, and they're like, I don't know if I can wait till marriage. Just wait. Be patient. Love waits. The person that's single and wants to be married. The person that's so desperate and they're like, well, I'll I'll just take whoever will have me. No, just wait. Wait for the right person. Don't settle. Don't compromise. Wait for somebody to be equally yoked. Just wait. Love waits. Felt in my study this week that that was something that somebody in the room needed to hear. I remember... And uh, Adrian, and we'll end kind of on a little bit of a lighter note since we're talking about relationships. When Adrian and I first started along this line of, of waiting, we met at a church at, uh, on staff at Willow Creek Community Church. We got actually partnered uh, together there at the church. And I remember having a conversation with uh, our direct supervisor. And uh, they were explained to us, listen, this, is, this was like forbidden love, you know, like the idea of uh, uh, working with somebody that you have like a thing for, you know, that's usually frowned upon. And so the, I remember what they, what they called us to do. They said, listen, we want you to take this first month and only do things together in group settings. 
I was like, group dating, come on. Like, what are you talking about? And so, for the, but for the first month, and, and the other thing that, and they said, and of course, no sort of any kind of physical displays of affection. No kisses, no hand-holding, any of that. I was like, what? No, a month? No, and I, I remember that month and and all of our friends were so tired of doing group things together by the end of that first month they're like no more group movies no more group ice skating enough just let these two be and so I, I remember though just the the on the other side of that on the other side of that one kind of the the 30 days was lifted and you're like oh this is it was great like the remember our, our first kiss after 30 days that was so awesome holding hands like all these things, just the two of us going to a movie together, like all these things that you take for granted. And it's funny how all those things were amplified on the other side of what? Wait, wait. One of the things we did in response to that, we're just like, you know, there's, maybe there's something to this. And so it was kind of fun. We, we made the conscious choice to not abuse the word love. And so we waited until I asked her to marry me before I said, I love you. So it made, so it brought something to that. And so the, the, the moment when I finally bent on one knee and said, Adrian, uh, Adrian Durkatz, that's her maiden name, Adrian Durkatz, man, I just love you so much. Will you be my wife? And just the power of that. And you think about what God understands about some of these things, about waiting, about sacrifice, about forgiveness. What? What does he need to speak to you this morning about? Which one of those is that? Is it the nudge of like, oh, maybe the forgiveness thing. Maybe I need to crinkle up my own list of offense. Maybe it's the sacrifice thing. Maybe in your different relationships, whether it's a dating relationship or interactions with other people, maybe you're just selfish. It's all about you and what you want, what you want to do. I don't know what God has for you in this text this morning, but I'm confident that we haven't all completely nailed it on this love thing quite yet. So we need room for grace. We need room to be taught for God to stretch us and mold us in his likeness. Amen? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this example and the extreme measures that you went for us. As you picked Hosea to represent you and to be a picture of you, of the message that you have, ultimately, because we've seen the other side of this story, you one-upped Hosea. You didn't just sacrifice coins and barley. You literally sacrificed yourself on a cross for us. To draw us from the darkest of alleys, the places that we should never have been, to bring us back into relationship with you, to complete us. We praise you for that. The ultimate demonstration of love. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.